0: Optimal minimal at this altitude I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I answer you a personal question? Now we're seeing time. What if I could be out of
1: here? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over metal
0: endoskeleton.
1: This
0: episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Hello, boys and girls. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job to deconstruct world-class performers, whether they are chess prodigies, military strategists, former generals, entertainment icons athletes, or otherwise. And this episode, I am speaking with a friend I hadn't caught up with in a very, very long time, Joshua Skeens. And that was my dog yawning in the background. Otherwise known as Josh Skeens, Skeen, depending on who you ask, S-K-E-N-E-S, Instagram, at J. Skeens Skeens has become famous for his use of fire. As chef owner of Saison in San Francisco, which has 3 Michelin stars, one of the very first restaurants ever in San Francisco to receive 3 Michelin stars, he has classical training, which of course you would expect, and loves his high-end Japanese Nanohi knives. Check them out. But nothing quite captures his imagination like the open flame. The back of his business card sports three words stark on its ivory stock play with fire. That's what the back of his business card says. And in this episode, we explore three of his obsessions, simplicity, food, and the martial arts. We became friends first during collaboration for the four hour chef where he taught me about all sorts of incredible things. And this was a long overdue catch up over lots of different types of tea. So I hope you very much enjoy it and if you have not yet checked out Five Bullet Friday, every Friday I sent out a free short email, five bullets of the coolest things that I have found, discovered, uncovered that week, then you should check it out. It is free and has uh, 70 plus percent open rate. So people are loving it. It is found at fourhourworkweek.com forward slash Friday, all spelled out fourhourworkweek.com forward slash Friday. And without further ado, here is Joshua Scanes. Joshua Sir, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is having me. It has been so long since we actually hung out. Yeah, yeah, it's been too long. Uh, And and in fact, it's been probably uh, what five years, really? Probably that we've actually spent any sit down time together because the way we connected originally with the when I was doing research for the four hour chef and visiting the the older location of Cezanne, uh brings back a lot of memories. And before I get to that, though, I want to know, do you still have... What does the back of your business card currently say? Uh, I haven't picked up a business card in like four years. Um, so maybe I got <laughs> is, the older version.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it used to... I think the one you're talking about used to say play with fire. Play with fire. Play with fire was the old one. That was some... Uh, one of the guys who does... His name is Jim Ailes. Really, really... You know, amazing creative designer does the, all the stuff for the Monterey Bay Aquarium.
0: Uh, and he thought we should write Play With Fire on the back because that's what we do. And, uh, the, at the, we're going to get into a number of different facets of, uh, our shared interests. Of course, we're sitting in my house. It's. Filled with J- japanophile paraphernalia everywhere, saddles and armor and whatnot. And at the completely different from my house, completely. My <laughs> <laughs> but at the first location that I visited of your restaurant, you had a wooden man. Yeah. Right there, about yeah. I would say what fifteen feet from where you did, from all- where you see people, yeah, yeah, basically. from where you see people.
1: <laughs> uh, we used to we used to throw a uh, like a, a blanket, like a little cashmere blanket, on I just covered up from the guests. But you know, we then we started un- leaving it uncovered, and 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 you
0: know, it's very interesting to see people's reactions. Uh, they, they they loved it. So the the martial arts and the cooking seem to go back a long way. Uh, what are your earliest memories of either? Well,
1: martial arts, I mean, that, that I've been doing that so, for as long as I can stand. So I don't, I don't, you know, my earliest memories are, you know, like four years old in the backyard, you know, my friend's kicking me or something in the stomach. I don't know if, if we've got an argument. Uh, but, uh, but in it, it, cooking, it's kind of the same way. I don't know. I, you know, there was really no, um, there's no direct, uh, path to, um, starting cooking you know I, I have pictures of me when i had uh when i was probably I don't know four with uh, a little chef's hat on floppy chef D hat and uh, mud pies so it, it was always something that was um maybe of interest to me and, and i can't you know this is this is a, a super common question i'm sure you know mm-hmm. and, and i can never answer it really properly because i just don't i have no idea it just
0: it was just always there but it was it was ever present i mean in the sense that you grew up in florida correct yeah and, I, mean, I think it's just an interest right uh, uh, just you're
1: drawn we're drawn to things as humans sometimes and that that happened to be something i was drawn to
0: mm-hmm. when were you formally introduced to a a specific martial art
1: uh i think i was uh six or so uh and that was uh, a Do. no yeah, kidding my hometown from florida yeah yeah and i and i started with Sudo and uh uh, you know, my parents got me into it. I think I'd always been into it. I'd expressed some desire. And so, uh, and then from there, Taekwondo. And then from there, I went to, uh, Northern Chinese martial arts and, and went to Changchun and, uh, and, um, you know, the various things from there. So it, it, it was all, it, it just, I, I'd, I'd done it, you know, off and on and, and, uh, jumped around from martial art to martial art. So there's so many different ones
0: that I, I toyed with. <laughs> And the Play With Fire, to return to that for a second, uh, how do you use fire in your <coughs> restaurant? Because that was one of the things that really drew me to engaging with you when I was looking at sort of cooking as a metaphor for uh, learning, but also life in a way, because you're exploring all of these different senses. And when I visited your restaurant, I brought a friend of mine, Jeffrey Zorofsky, who, who's run many different restaurants worked as a line cook in many very, uh, well-known restaurants. And he said it was one of the, it could have been the intoxication of the eighties music that was being played at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been the wine pairings, <laughs> but he said it was one of his top, I think three meals that he'd ever had. And the fire oh, we're not doing very good. Then we got to get that up to the top. Yeah. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> and the, the fire always struck me. How do you use fire and why do you use it so much?
1: Well, I mean how is every way, but but why I think is is I mean literally everything on the menu is has been touched by fire somehow. And uh there are, are there's so many different ways that we've kind of explored cooking with fire. It's not it's not all barbecue, it's not all grilled, it's all um these kind of uh you know, just ways that we've come up to cook with that are based on uh what the product needs, right? I think real, really great cooking is based on what the product needs. So mm-hmm. if you get a, you know, you get a, a fish in one day, it has a certain taste, a certain texture, um, a certain, you know, uh, amount of moisture inside. The next day it changes, so you have to change your cooking based on that. So, so you know, we 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 um we approach you know the fire the same way, you know, to really um, base it around finding uh, great products, amazing products, kind of the best thing in, in local existence. Uh, and then, um, you know, employing a, a technique that is, that makes those products better, right? But they still wind up as what they are. So, so that's just in taste in general, and that's uh, temperature,
0: texture, uh, and flavor. So. So the, let's talk about just state of freshness for a second, because this is also something that you made me, th- made me think a lot about. And for those people who hear, what sound like coffee mugs? That's exactly what you're hearing. Uh, so, so Josh is armed with a glass or a bowl, glass or a bowl. I should say so a have mug, glass, yeah. half glass, half bowl, a mug full of green tea and black tea. And I have some as well. But the, the question of freshness. So I was reading about, and I've never seen you do this, but Ikejime and like the, the going through a traditional japanese butchering process with from live fish to using pretty much every component of said fish right which is an art form in and of itself people tend to assume fresh is always what you want how do you how would you educate them or what are your thoughts on the subject because you also just to i guess provide some of the punchline i mean age a lot of different types of food yeah Uh um,
1: how do you think yeah about that? I mean you know so you have to look at it like this every everything has its moment when it tastes its best and, and so it it really becomes about understanding products and then uh, learning you know what what period of time uh, those products are best in, and so you know for some fish uh, like a big you know fatty fish it's not right after you kill it's well let me take that back it's actually a little complicated it's it's one of two things generally for fish like as soon as you pull it out of the water, you kill it, you hack off a slice and you eat it right then and there within the first 30 minutes. It's kind of like hunting, right? Like you have a window, like you can, you can eat it within the first 30 minutes or so and it's really great and still tender, hasn't set into rigor mortis yet. Um, or you can really take it, you know, into its sweet spot and, and that can be, you know, a week, a day, uh, six months even for some things. It just really depends on the product.
0: What about, uh, I was going to say pigeons, but I guess I should say squab. Do you age squab? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. do, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it depends on the time of year. It depends on the diet. Uh, and, and that's the whole, the whole understanding of products things is you have to, you have to really kind of, um, you know, get, get a grip on what, what they're eating, you know, how much fat is in the meat. Um, um, you know, did you if you shot it and then you know BB went through the breast, then you probably shouldn't age it. You should probably eat it the next day or something. So, so there's a lot of factors that 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 uh you know contribute. Um, I would say two weeks on a on a squab,
0: yeah, or a pigeon, either one. And the let, let's talk about the hunting for a second because we're sitting here and right to our or my left, your right on this couch, there's a caribou mounted on the wall. Which, uh, some people I could actually see and might have seen on a show called Meat Eater. I actually went with a guy named Steve Ranella, who's also, uh. Oh, that's, and, you know, and, I saw that. That's right. And an avid. The caribou. That's the That's oh, the That's awesome. Yeah. An avid yeah. cook. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love m- that he Wouldn't consider himself yeah. a, a chef, but he's actually a really good cook. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he took me on my very first hunt, which was white-tailed deer in South Carolina. And, I always grew up with a very negative association with hunting because on Long Island where I grew up, you would find just beer cans littered all over the place and uh, injured deer on uh, our property and across the street and so on. There's just a lot of negligent. Hunting, but Steve showed me a very different oh, no, side. Long Island, no. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, can like... you imagine the, the, <laughs> the responsible denizens of Strong Island? But uh and I'm sure there are great hunters on Long Island also. But the the point being that Steve showed me a very different, diametrically opposed, responsible approach, and took me through the entire process of field dressing and whatnot. And my experience was with the white-tailed deer, which I felt no guilt about whatsoever, and actually. Uh, this right here, and those who don't have a visual, because you wouldn't, I'm, I'm picking up a tanned skin that's over the side of my couch is from that first deer. So I want to make these into gloves, but we used everything. Uh, and, uh, he, we also have Chester, who is, uh, who is Joshua's dog here, a little Frenchie with a brindle coat. Uh, and his hunting collar. That's his hunting And color. his hunting collar. It's, <laughs> it's my bird, dog. <laughs> it's pretty vicious. You gotta be careful sometimes. Uh, when did you did you start hunting when you were really young or did it come in Yeah, later? I mean
1: I I did in the woods uh you know I ne- I never I never picked up a gun to hunt uh until I was uh just a couple years ago and uh and so um, up until then, when I grow, well, let's go back to Florida. Gr- growing up in Florida, you know, you're, you're just surrounded by swamps and alligators and wildlife in general. Um, you know, there's, you spend most of your time in the woods somewhere, you know, whether it's a park or, or the woods or something. So it's just, you just can't help it. I mean, kids are, especially being a kid there growing up, there's like, it, I think it's, might be the most dangerous place on earth, besides mm-hmm. maybe Australia. And, uh, I mean, there are alligators, crocodiles, uh, I think it may have the highest variety of poisonous snakes in America. Uh, big water moxins, huge rattlesnakes, alligator gar, you know, you know, alligator gar, fish that look like, you know, alligator mouth that, that grow 10 feet long, snapping turtles that can take your hand off, uh, and just all kinds of other shit, like giant spiders. So it's, it's, uh, you can't help but kind of be in the woods and hunt and, you know, rummage around and gather. And, and my dad was always big into that. Um, so yeah, that's how I grew up and, and, uh, he would take me over to this, uh, he had a native American friend of his, uh, named Silver Fox. And so there was always this ethos of, you know, using, using what you kill and hunting, you know, ethically and, or fishing or just doing anything ethically, right. Being in the woods, kind of being one with nature. Um, so that's how I grew up and, and, you know, the product side of that has always been a part of my cooking and and part Mm -hmm. of my thought process. and, And, uh, and in fact, I, I went. You know, from that to the big city, to being vegetarian, to being or pescatarian, to vegetarian, to vegan, and, and then finally back to hunting again uh, after becoming chef. So,
0: mm-hmm. what led you from what led you out? Was there any particular moment that led you out of veganism, or realization, or I, I, taste? Taste. I, well, oh, you
1: know what? You know what it was actually. I just there so there was. I I was training again. Uh, I, I I took a brief moment off of training when I went to school. Um, and this was, uh, FCI yeah, the French Culinary Institute. It used to be called back then. It's now called the ICC or something. Right. Um, and, uh, and back then it was a bunch of crazy old French dudes, some very well known French chefs in New York Um, city. Yeah. In New York city. And so I, uh, went into school being kind of a vegetarian, um, in culinary school. That's and, tough. I, and I remember tasting this meat and I was like, God, this is fucking disgusting. This is like, you know, like it, because it's commodity veal, right? You're talking about, you know, uh, feedlot cows and stuff. And that's really nasty stuff. And uh, so the point was, is that I, I had a dream one night and I was vegetarian at that point, not vegan anymore. Um, and... I, I was in a river, I was standing in a river, and I just reached down in, and I grabbed a giant squid out, and I just bit into it, and bit a big hunk of the squid out. And so then I woke up, and the next day I woke up, and I had this craving for salt and pepper squid. And so I went and got salt and pepper squid, and it was the best thing I've ever eaten. And was, that was, that's how I yeah. got out of it.
0: And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the gateway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, at the time, you were training in Bagua, or what were you yeah, training in? Yeah, Bagua. Can you describe um, that for people who are not familiar? So, so
1: they're, they're, the, the typical path to Chinese martial arts as a kid, when you start very young, you start in, uh, like long fist, right? Which is a normal, either, either southern or northern, you know, you pick what, you, what's best for your body type. Um, so, uh, if you have longer, you know, limbs, then usually long fist is the way to go. Um, so, and then you can kind of choose after you do that for your years of basics. Um, and once you get through your years of basics, which you know take you know ten years or so, then you can kind of start to choose what you want to really kind of specialize in or what you have the aptitude towards, um, depending on you know not just your body type but also your your sensibility and your movement. And uh, and so uh, I chose internal martial arts, which is the family of uh, three: Taiji, Shingi, um, and Bagua. And so I chose all three of those, right? And I and I started uh, in Taiji because my teacher in Florida um, was a student of Chen Shouwang, and uh, Chen Shouwang is a, a really amazing Taiji teacher from uh, Chen Village in China. Um, and and I just traced up the lineage from there. So when I left Florida in high school, I just traced the lineage back and and uh, and started doing Yi and Bagua, and Bagua was always very interesting to me. Um, and then I got just and then I just specialized in Bagua, and then when I moved out, that was. I don't know, 10 years before I moved here, and I moved here about 12 years ago. Um, and and then I moved out here, and I traced my lineage back to the last surviving member of Fu-style Bagua, and uh, his name was Liang Chong-ya, and uh, he just passed away a couple of years ago. But I studied with him for about 10 years uh, until his death. And uh hey, oh, I, was, I was supposed to describe Bagua, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so Bagua, I mean, you know, it's one of those, it's a, it's kind of this esoteric martial art, and it's really hard to describe. I don't know that there's a really, yeah. a two-sentence description for Bagua. But if, if I could, if I could, it would be evasion. And I think it's kind of the art of evasion, but there's all these kind of prerequisites to, to that. And I think that, it's really hard even more hard to describe because most of our understanding in america of of really high level chinese martial arts is total garbage right there's almost i don't know if there is even one to be honest with you or right. well i mean you could probably count them on your on your hands right, right. to get really good chinese martial arts that that would be effective um but, in terms of you know healthfulness it's a really amazing thing mm-hmm. um, so you kind of walk in circles until you get dizzy and yeah. then you're no longer dizzy anymore and then you learn how to do these little patterns where you go back and forth and up and down um, and uh, it teaches you basically to have a very supple, strong flexible um, series of movements that can uh react at any time to someone else's movements and and kind of almost confuse them, if you will, mm-hmm. or, or just evade just enough to where you always
0: have the angular, uh, upper hand. And, uh, because when I've, when I've thought of Bagua and I, I don't, I know very little about it, even though I lived in, in China for six months in 92 and went to two universities there in Beijing where I studied something called Da Cheng Chen for a period of time. Uh, did you go to Bei Da or where'd you go? No, I went to, there's one called, Oddly enough, in English, Beijing Normal University, which is Beijing xue and then there's Beijing Capital University of Business and Economics, which is uh, Shoudu Jingmao xue But they call it the uh, yeah Jingji xue So that those were the two. And uh, with I only I remember seeing someone practicing, and I the Ba I guess is eight. I don't know what it refers to, but there's some relationship to. What are they? The trigrams of well, The like, Bagua
1: is basically like, uh, um, is the eight trigrams, right? Yeah, the eight okay. trigrams. And so somehow this relates back to, uh, a philosophy, um, of, you know, the beginning of everything. It's a right. binary system essentially to where there was, there's, uh, there's, you know the void it all starts with wuji right Mm -hmm. and then there's the void and then there's one and zero and one binaries and then it builds from there and i don't really know that that wasn't my purpose for studying things i never really i never understood it and i still don't today so the cosmology aspect of it
0: (laughs) how has if, if it has the martial arts affected how you think about food cooking or vice versa
1: I think it affects everything. I, really, I think it affects the way that you really think and act and everything you do. And, and, I mean, you know, the, just overall, the ability to be more peaceful with your surroundings. But I think that, uh, in cooking, um, I think it's the essential nature, right? We're, we're a restaurant. I mean, if, if you were to ask me what Saison is, I would say it's a restaurant. Um, and, uh, they're like, what kind of restaurant? Well, it's, it's American food. Because there's no, you know, I think, and that's the part where martial arts kicks in because you're not, um, it, it's meant to be, uh, the essential parts of things, right? In life and where you're stripping away all of the unessential to get to the essential, right? Right. And, um, and, and so that may be, um, you know, taste, maybe the, the actual dish itself in, in the restaurant where, you just have what's essential on the plate. You have a beautiful piece of wild, you know, deer or elk or whatever it may be, one that I hunted in a good place at the right time of year, uh, and you just age it just enough to get to its sweet spot, and you just barely grill it, and you just put a beautiful sauce on the plate, right? And that's the essential part of what pleasure is, right? Uh And so... uh that's the same with the service, right? I mean, here's the description. It's very simple. It's very basic. We want to get in, give the person their food, get out, let them have a pleasurable experience, right? So all of it is kind of reflected. The whole philosophy of the restaurant and everything else is reflected through, um, you know, those, those kind of uh, principles. I, I think that's very martial arts, right? Oh, it uh, is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean,
0: I think that the, You know, there are parallels in all these things. And the reason, part of the reason I wanted to have you on is because I know you have this deep love and obsession with the Chinese martial arts and internal martial arts. And so I've been fantasizing in part myself of doing... (laughs) Sorry, I just keep laughing (laughs) because Josh's dog, like a prairie dog, keeps popping up because he wants to get on the couch. Chester, (laughs) get up here. I'm going to take a picture of this. And, uh, but I've been fantasizing about doing a second podcast. I don't think I'm going to, uh, called Side Gig. Because I think that what we do as the primary activity, as people view it, is so informed by what other obsessions we might have and vice versa. The uh, So the question of reducing... And simplifying, I think, transfers across all these different areas, right? You look at people who are really world-class as athletic coaches. There, There's one track and field coach, I remember, I think he was Dutch, who said, you know, do as little as is necessary, not as much as is possible, right? And you could apply that to your food. You could apply that to bagua. Anything, yeah. really. You could I apply that life, any. yeah. Uh, and... Uh, Sorry to destroy your couch. No, your that's, all right, that's all right. Chester's there's, having a... Chester's yeah. having a nervous <laughs> breakdown. Uh... <laughs> what do you think has made Cezanne unique and successful as a restaurant?
1: Well, I mean, I, th- I, 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 I think that at the end of the day, it was about that actually that uh, just the philosophy, the ethos of the, of the restaurant. And I, and I because, you know, it started with just the food, yep. you know, um, asking myself, um, you know, a series of questions about what I thought about the food and the quality and the essentialness of everything. Um, and I think that triggered everything else. And, and that was, you know, really starting and saying, um, okay, you know, when we first, before you even start Saison, it's really just my thought process about, um, how to create good food. And, and is this, uh, let's say I'm making a dish and I eat, I eat it and I, I get to it and I say, is this really the best version of this thing that I've ever eaten or ever put in my mouth? And if the answer, it's either yes or no. And the answer is no, then I have to start over and I have to really think through uh, the reality of what and just keeping yourself grounded and thinking. And what what is the reality of if you know Mister uh, Joël Robuchon came in or something? What would he say? Or what would uh, the best chef in Japan say? You know. And so that it was that kind of process where, that I think is is certainly influenced by martial arts and that's that's how it all started i guess
0: how have you responded when what is your internal dialogue or, or self talk like when you get say a review from a critic that you wish were better uh or we don't get you, those anymore but i, well, I hear no, you from like when you get no well so it's, i want you to correct my timeline if i'm wrong but so let's I'm going to use my my flawed memory to try to just paint a picture here. So we connected when you're at the old location, much smaller location. Uh We kept in touch, hit it off. You ended up then developing the new location, which I wanted to invest in purely. And this is the only time, I don't know if I ever told you this. This is the only time I've ever done it where I made the investment viewing it like is going to sound silly, maybe, but a, a patron grant in a way, because I enjoyed your work so much, I just wanted to see what you would do next. And so it's like, it, what it, it's. I cared more about you being able to continue to experiment and refine what you were doing than I cared about ever seeing that come back. Now, uh, the restaurant's done extremely well, but that was the reason for doing it. And then the... Uh, I remember at one point, there was it, it wasn't a bad review but it wasn't like a flawless review that came out and we had a little bit of communication and there you didn't really say anything and you just went heads down and then it was like a, maybe a year later that you became is it one of the one of the two restaurants ever to receive three Michelin stars in San Francisco in San Francisco yeah, in yeah San Francisco. so we
1: we were the first along
0: with uh, one other restaurant yeah you know, Bennu, right yeah right yeah. and uh when when you get either an imperfect review or a great review, what, what, what do you say to yourself?
1: Well, I mean, you know, reviews are, are, are you know, the, the whole, whole media is, it's a great validation in some ways to hard work. But at the end of the day, you know, if, uh, those things didn't exist, you know, asses in the seats are really what, what make you enjoy your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, for that reason, it's just, it, you, you have to just, uh, I mean, there's learning tools there. You know, you get a bad review, then you have to really think about it. You know, really, is this really true? You know, it's important to, you know, take in what's what's real and, and discard what's not, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, we, we know the media is, it uh, can be a little silly sometimes. Yeah. So, um, or inaccurate, let's say. But but there is also a lot of really knowledgeable people out that have traveled the world. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. I don't think about it anymore because, uh, when I see people come in the restaurant and really have such an amazing time, that's what's kind of special to me. That's what, that's what makes it worth it. Um, it's very, you know, simple in a way. And I, I'm a, I'm a simple, simple dude in many ways.
0: Uh, well, the, uh, I remember the first time I did a, I guess I'm not sure if I would call it chef's table. I think it was a chef's table dinner at Saison and, <laughs> the, the the there were a couple of simple and I was looking for things that I could share in the 4-Hour Chef, right? Things that people could try test themselves. And one of them was so simple but so well done. And I want you to, to describe it. I don't remember the name, but it was effectively a piece of cling wrap on top of a, not a martini glass, but a, a very nice piece of glassware. Oh, the magic bowl. There we go. The magic bowl. The <laughs> magic bowl. Can you describe <laughs> this? And then a piece yeah. of food suspended yeah, on yeah. top. Yeah, So it's just
1: like, uh, it, it's it's been around for a long time, but it's basically just, you stretch a piece of saran wrap over the top of a glass bowl, uh, or any bowl really for that matter, where the basically you stretch it far enough around the edges so that when you rip it off, uh, the top seems like it's floating on air, right? So you can't really tell that there's saran wrap there and uh I, the, yeah people love that and then well, you it just it looks like the food's floating you put a piece of food on top of the saran wrap it looks like the food's floating yeah it's it's yeah. just but it's a very
0: i'd never seen now it done. i think it's totally ridiculous and i would never do it again
1: well but at the time it was fun
0: at the time it was fun so what okay. are you experimenting with these days what are you most excited to work on or experiment with uh I,
1: I, it's, it's products. You know, as, as time goes on, you know, just like if you practice your, you know, your martial arts over and over again, it, you, you do that one throw, you know, millions of times if you can. And then that's when it really starts to get interesting. It's the same way with cooking. Like you do, you repeat uh, the same process over and over and over again. Thousands and thousands of times, and you start to, you know, get a little better understanding of it. And then another few thousand times go by, you start to get a little more better understanding of it. And then you maybe start to look at your products a little differently. You start to chase down better products. Um, you're, you know, a little bit less salt. More natural flavor comes out. You know, there, there's it's such subtle little differences and. But that's really what makes up really, really great cooking is just all of those little tiny things done really well throughout uh, a process that you've repeated,
0: you know, thousands and thousands of times. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes me think of Bruce Lee, right? I mean, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but along the lines of, I, I don't fear the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks one time each. I, I I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> well, that's really what it's about because in that that's from martial arts. I mean, you know, I, the more I talk about it, the more it comes back to really just martial arts and practicing. Because we used to, you know, we used to, when I was young, we would practice the same throw for hours and hours and hours again. It was just do that throw over and over and over again. That's all we did and do until <laughs> we could just do it no matter what, right? Until it's default, until it's uh you know, you go through those isolation drills where you basically isolate everything that you do in your arsenal and then you do it so many times that it's there when you need it no matter what, right? right? Uh, that's that's uh same with cooking,
0: right? Same with anything, I Make guess. Make a part any of any your area. on-demand repertoire. Yeah. What's that? Make it part of your on-demand repertoire. Yeah. Like you can call yeah. it when yeah. you need it. Yeah. Uh, so of the, inf- if, if you were to think of some of the biggest influences, uh, or mentors, they don't have to be from cooking, but, uh, in your sort of development as a chef, as a cook, who, who are some of the names that come to mind or people who come to mind? You know,
1: that, I, I don't
0: know. It's a great question.
1: I do mean, you take influence from everywhere? Um this is another
0: question that happens sometimes that I can't ever answer. I'm sure there are a ton uh, and, and of them, but I'm not going to let you go with they're they're everywhere. I'm going <laughs> to I I want no, they,
1: they they are everywhere, but I but well, I'll I give, uh,
0: yeah, just I'm I'm looking for any any specific lessons learned. So for instance, I'll give you an example. One of my friends who who used to work at uh one of Danny Meyer's very first restaurants. No, it wasn't at Danny, well he did he did do that, but he worked with this very famous French chef at one point, and he, so he wanted to. He ended up teaching this guy Jeffrey how to move through the kitchen without being underfoot and like getting in the way of everyone else. And he would always say to him, "He go, Jeffrey, you are like my dick, always between my legs," <laughs> and he would <laughs> yell at him. But he, that is one of the lessons that he learned was just how to navigate moving between line cooks and so on. Right? So like, yeah. In in the school of hard knocks, I'm
1: I'm I'm like running through my head right now to try yeah. to find an example, and I and you know I think what the problem is with me is that I don't remember shit. My memory is absolutely <laughs> terrible, and and uh, in many ways because I think that my process is uh, uh, feelings and shapes, and you know here's a here here is a, a an image that triggers a memory. Mm-hmm. Here is a, um, you know, a feeling that creates a thought. Mm-hmm. A- and, uh, I guess that's the same for everybody. I don't know, yeah. but, but, um, maybe it's just that my memory really sucks. It could be. <laughs> they it could, could be. be. But if I, if I really could, I mean, if I could, if I could look at mentors, then it would have to be probably my, one of my first martial arts teachers in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, in Chinese martial arts. Uh, his name is Cam Lee. Um, and he was just, he, he was this guy who was just, you know, he's shorter, stockier dude and he would just practice everything that he preached he was a living example of of everything real mm-hmm. around him and and truthful and kind of sincere and honest and um but he was also you know real badass on the side like he he would i mean like he could just throw you to the ground it just right. that there was just no but he wouldn't ever unless you're training right and so uh he just embodied this kind of peacefulness and um uh, healthfulness and patience and all these things and i don't know i I lost the patience a long time ago so i didn't really do well with that example but uh (laughs) but uh but in many ways you know i I still look back to him you know all the time just just based on those simple you know kind of simple examples that he provided that are you know simple to say but really hard to do yeah you know
0: the uh what what have been some of the toughest times for you, professionally or personally?
1: <sighs>
0: opening and saison. Opening was both saison. A, a great time and a and a,
1: and a really tough time. I mean, in the beginning, I mean, we're you know we're we were in an alley right when we started. Yeah. It was one day a week, um, and we started it because uh, I was I was unhappy in my my you know consulting job that I was doing. Um, I was I wound up being broke after spending all my money in two thousand seven or whatever it is. Um, I, you know, 2007 was a very kind of a prosperous year uh, for money for me and I made a bunch of money. But then I wound up, I thought it was just going to keep coming and then all of a sudden everything crashed. I was like, oh shit, I screwed this one up. So I said, you know, if I'm going to be broke, I'd rather be happy and broke than, than you know, miserable and broke. And so that's why I started Saison. It gave me the, the uh, kind of like courage to just say, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to jump out on my own here and just do what I really want to do, what I really believe in. Um, and that started as just a simple thing, one night a week, you know, in a, in an alley, really, right? Now, the it, one
0: night a week, was that because you were renting the space from someone else just for once a week and that's what you could afford? Or was it that that was the only way you could really prepare? Well, there's no deposit, so that's why we could afford it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, we started, we started with like 10 grand, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of our own money. It was just, it was $10,000 and that was it. Um, we, we had, there was one opening in this event space. Um, which was the old Saison. And, and we just, you know, Sunday nights at Saison. We started Sunday nights at Saison. I just wanted to cook again. Um, and, and so we, we went, we, we bought some pots, we bought some plates and we, 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 we went.
0: Jumped into it. Yeah. What were, what were the hardest experiences in those first few months for you?
1: Oh, right. So to get back to your original question, you know, we, we started this thing inside a cafe. Um, that, uh, I'm sure they're gonna be very angry once I expose all this, but, um, there, there was a, there's this cafe and, and they would just had, they just had really bad practices. And, and we, we, you know, worked out a deal to where we would do, um, you know, our Sunday nights, but they would always get in the way or like some of their workers would come in and just like Touch our food and shit that we spent three months, you know, trying to perfect. Oh, my god. Um, or we had, you know, like we would have like these beautiful like ferments that we made from like three years ago. What are ferments? Like, well, just like oh like fermented, or something. Fermented Let's say the pickles right? or got something. It. You got a pot of pickles in the backyard that I've had for you know seven years that have been aging carefully, and now they're amazing. And then you know you got this knucklehead coming in and like spilling shit on top of them. Oh god! And uh, and the dish pit was shared, so the dish where the dishwashing happened was shared between the old Saison and the cafe. And it was just a nightmare. And the place would flood every year with sewage water and we Ugh. had to rip everything out, throw everything away, start over. Um, I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was like vo- the most volatile place ever. Um, so it, it was, a, I mean, it, you know, what's funny about that is that the day that we were moving out, you know, we got all our investments to move to the new location. Um, that was like four years ago now, I think. Um, and, and the day that we were moving out, it was, we had finished service for the night, you know, great last service. We hired movers. Everybody came in, packed everything up. And it was probably four in the morning or five in the morning by then. Um, and we were just waiting and, uh, we fell asleep. I fell asleep on the, you know, on the stool outside, uh, just waiting for the movers to show back up because they needed to go get breakfast or something. They were supposed to just take all the shit. Uh, and then all of a sudden I woke up to somebody screaming, shit, it's flooding. There's fucking water everywhere. And, and within 15 minutes. The the I get whatever the system was on Folsom Street is really the worst infrastructure in in all of San Francisco. And within 15 minutes, we were under three feet of water uh. back there because there was a gradient and it went down, and it, you know from the street level was approximately two or three feet higher than than uh, the back of the restaurant, and so. All of our stuff that we packed up was completely soaked in sewage water. We got pictures of like Mark Bright, you know, the sommelier, yes. floating on a barrel, on a wine barrel, out in there, you know, with a little lasso in his hands that he made. Just, just, it was just ridiculous. So that, that was that was how we ended. Uh, that's how we ended the old space,
0: and uh, we just threw everything out and started over. <laughs> so in a situation like that, a so catastrophe strikes uh how do you contend with that mentally yourself i mean is there a person you call do you just go fucking smash on the wooden man for 17
1: hours straight what do you do i i just i i just it's all internal it's all just i just uh i was just thinking to myself you know i was just kind of exasperated and and i because i lost all my old books from like culinary school oh man um like every note that i'd ever taken for for um you know 10 years or so or 15 years was in that flood. Like all of my notes, oh, my that's my, my worst nightmares. All the ideas of like uh any any uh thing that was truly unique to my thoughts. You sound you know, like me. I've just got like bookshelves of notebooks. Yeah. So all those just gone in sewage. <sighs> and all the ink was running on them and I was like that that was the everything else is replaceable, but that was really truly the thing where I looked at it and I was like, fuck. I just had to sit down for a while. And uh And, uh, but, uh, you know, we're moving into new space. So there's a positive spin. I was like, you know, fuck it. We're just gonna start over. And, uh, it's the same thing that we started with. It's the, it's all up there somewhere. I know not those exact things,
0: but you just got to start over. Well, I remember, uh, so something very similar happened to a guy I had on the podcast recently named Cal Fussman. So Cal is one of the most masterful interviewers I've ever met. He did the, what I've learned series, uh, probably 60% of it for Esquire magazine. So he's interviewed everybody like Gorbachev, Clooney, like you name it, it's everybody. And at one point he'd been working on this piece for like a year and a half. And it was in the basement of some, I think a relative's house. And then it flooded and he lost all of his notes for a piece he'd been working on for a year, about becoming for a day a sommelier on top of the world trade center because it was because 9 11 happened and like interrupted everything of course i mean huge tragedy he wasn't sure you should even work on it and the advice that he was given by i guess it was a mentor who just said the good shit sticks it's like sit down and write it he's like <laughs> the good shit sticks did you uh what were the best decisions that you made with the new space so in a way i mean you get this flood notes are gone you're starting from, I mean, scratching away, right? You have to, to get, you have to buy. Well, it was starting over,
1: actually. I, I think, I think, I think the best decision I made was just to, to say, okay, screw it. Let's, let's really start over. Let's, let's just, let's just completely empty our cup here and, and really, uh, think about now and, and what is really valuable, you know, what's really valuable to me now? What, what's honest? What's sincere about what we're doing? And, um, and let's do that. And, and that's really,
0: uh, still the driver to, to Saison now. When you have people come in, when you hire people to cook at the restaurant. Really? Chester keeps uh, farting right in my, face. <laughs> right he's, in your he's, left he's armpit. Passionate pit. little puppy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very passionate. Yeah. He's. It's out cold. Uh,
1: he's, he, he was, uh, so this, he looks kind of like a little pork chop. And there, there's, there is, uh, I went pig hunting. Uh, I go all the time, but I went, um, in last uh, month. Up, up so. north and here. In, uh, uh and out like to the west of Red Bluff near right. Mendocino National Forest. Got it. Um, and, uh, and there are pig dogs um, on one of the hunts and, and they're all in the truck. And so we were walking by, I walked by with Chester and they thought he was a pig, I think, because they were going <laughs> fucking crazy in there and they were barking at him and he stopped and looked at
0: it, you. It's, he it, it looks kind of like a little, he little does, pig, does you know? look like yeah. a little porker, yeah. pork chop. But anyway, that's uh, <laughs> so when you, when you bring someone in, you have a very, very high level or you have a very, very high standard at Cezanne. What, training or pep talk or anything do you do with these people we what give they- them the silent treatment as soon as they walk through the door basically you give them silent <laughs> treatment, <laughs> silent
1: treatment <laughs> to see if they're gonna crack yeah <laughs> okay so so no no i'm just <laughs> kidding we don't we're we uh i mean just i do but my staff doesn't yeah, yeah. my team doesn't um <clears throat> uh you, you know i i guess in terms of in in terms of training you know there is uh i i went through a long period of just like the old school you know mentality of of like uh Zero patience, you know, kind of here, here is, um, here's why, you know, I don't know, just, just that old school, like, abusive mentality of cooking. Yeah, like drill ser- drill grow, sergeant, drill sergeant, like, yeah, it's all a drill mentality. sergeant, you know, that, that kind of military, um, ridiculousness, really, right? Yeah. Um, but that's evolved into over the years of just, you know, going back to kind of the martial arts thing and, and, you know, just kind of remembering, you know, that patience from, um, from my teachers and just from what martial arts does in general um so now it it, it's really like i i like to you know if i if i can create the you know the google of restaurants and that's that's really a a nice thing right it's a it's a great goal for me uh in terms of having a really exceptional workplace and you know granted i don't really know anything about google at all so i could it could be terrible i don't know but maybe from the outside Who, who was it that uh i was just listening to somebody talk about uh um, you know, from the outside, everybody's trying to get in and from the inside, everybody's trying to get out. <laughs> so, 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 I don't know. So, I think I, some I,
0: podcast or something, but, yeah, but I, I can, I can see that. I mean, the, I, I know I have a lot of friends at Google though, and, uh, it seems to be pretty exceptional. It's yeah. Like, so,
1: so that's really the goal. The goal now is really, is really mentorship and, and how, uh, we can create this kind of like package on the inside to help our team navigate through some really, you know, difficult and enigmatic, uh, you know, environment Because there's always a gray area when you start at a new place, right? You don't really know, uh, everything that you need to. And even if you are a great cook, let's say, and you start in a new kitchen at a very high level, then, then there's going to be things you don't know. Every chef has a different way to do things. Every restaurant has a different SOP for something. And, and so I wanted to. SOP, standard of practice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, standard standard operating operating procedure, procedure. yeah. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to create really this, uh, app, essentially. That'll allow people to operate every moment of their day like Subway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Subways actually sucks, but, right. but, uh, I got a funny story about Subway later on. I'll tell you, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, and, and so that it gives people, you know, this, this huge, you know, influx of information so they can be successful. So that's kind of the way we operate now. We want people to be. Um, mentored through the process um, and and, you know in return they develop loyalty to that kind of you know patience that you give them right um and and then they wind up you know really learning something that's tangible because i want these guys to come and work for us and you know spend a few years there um and it really takes you know five years or so to really learn about you know uh, cooking at a at a certain you know a certain kind of cooking, certain level. I don't want to use level because I sound like a dick when I say that, but, but I just want to use, you know, a certain type of cooking. Um, and I wanted to be able to walk away with something really tangible
0: where they can, you know, contribute or re-contribute. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so since you brought it up, Subway, tell me the story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might go to jail after I tell you the story. There
1: was a, no, I used to work in Subway and there was always like, like a little manual and I was, I was probably 15 when I was 16, 16 probably when I worked there. Um, and, uh, we would, uh, I don't know if I should tell this story.
0: We would... uh We, we can cut it out later if you change your mind. Let, let's go So we
1: We um, would... Uh, you know, it made me think of Subway because of their manual, their right. operating manual. So my first... My second memory from Subway would be us um learning how to block out the cameras by standing in strategic positions, <laughs> putting bubble gum on the end of a coat hanger and fishing $100 bills out of the safe and the floor drop. <laughs> <laughs> so... So we did that for about a week, and then I, I think we all got fired after that, because so. <laughs> nobody knew what happened to the Hundies. Yeah. It was like what happened to everything. Wow, that's some real
0: like Ocean's Eleven action at Subway. Who knew? That was my uh, time. So my contribution to Subway. <laughs> uh, you know, I've I've always wanted to ask you, and I've never asked you. Do you have thought, what's your opinion of Francis Malman, if any? I don't know if you even know who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. I don't, I don't know enough about him to really give
1: you my opinion. I, I saw the chef's table episode that he did, mm-hmm. um, that I thought was a really cool. Yeah. I, I love that series. Um, and, uh, he's, he's very philosophical. Yeah. Um, but I, but you know, I, I, it's funny. It's cool. I lo- it's beautiful to see like what he's doing out there in nature. Uh, obviously he's a legend. He's been around for a long time. I don't know enough about it though to really say anything meaningful, but, but, um, but uh, I I think it's amazing, you know, looking at like him out in Patagonia and there's like just pulling trout out of the lake. And I mean that for a chef, that's the ultimate, right? Yeah. And I, I that's actually something that I've been working on for years and years, is just to get myself to the woods and just so I could stay in the woods. I can gather, I can hunt, I can fish, I can cook, I can eat, and uh, just be happy. And that's kind of really my goal of happiness is just to be out there in the woods and and just you know look, here's a root, I'm gonna dig it up and I'm gonna cook it and it's gonna taste great. And uh, we're gonna have some wine together and we're all gonna celebrate and have a great time and that's 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 what I'm looking for so so I don't know I don't really know enough about him I think he uh, likes to burn shit he, he likes to burn shit that's burn shit. why it, I, uh, everywhere I don't really I don't like burnt food like that
0: so I, I it's okay like, so you don't like the, so you're talking like the charring
1: yeah what? I mean there I like food that has a delicacy to it so that so it's very like I like food that is uh you know you gotta think in terms of volume right if you put on like what's that uh like heavy metal band like Gwar or whatever Goar, guar so or Slipknot. you know just you you turn, you, turn it, you just pick something like that you just turn the volume all the way up in the house and you're just then there's that's like guy fiari right yeah right yeah. he's that's he's guar on level ten <laughs> okay <laughs> so okay. then you take so then you take um Let's just use a really a restaurant that I really love in in the mountains of Kyoto, and they serve all wild foods from around there. Really delicate. The broths are under seasoned by our Western standards. Um, and, and, you know, it's all about natural taste, but there's an incredible beauty to that food. Then that's a volume one, right? And so that's really what we're looking for in, in our world of cooking, right? So, so I don't, I don't like the level tens. I like yeah. the level twos, you know, yeah. around there. It's, yeah. I, yeah.
0: yeah I, I would love to just be a fly on the wall. Maybe sometime we'll get down to Patagonia and have a couple of bottles of Malbec with, with Francis. But what struck me, there were a handful of cookbooks that really, inspired me when I was working on The 4-Hour Chef, which was very confusingly to most people, a book about accelerated learning, kind of disguised as a cookbook. But Seven Fires, which was by Francis Malman, because he had the fancy French training, right? But he chose to go back to a lot of basics. and, But like refine them to such a degree that they were highly, highly uh, advanced from a kind of a technical level, right? And then uh, I think it was just mission street food or mission Chinese, just a beautifully well put together book and a handful of others. There was another one, uh, on hunting and foraging from the UK, the name of which I'm blanking on at the moment, river, maybe river Cottage. Yeah. So been The escape. Those are cool. The TV show is what I was my kind of like fantasy escape for a while. the first. I was it, escape from river cottage or escape to river cottage by Hugh funsley Whitting's hall. Like the, I think that's his name. The most British name ever. Mm. Uh, Incredible books, but that TV show for people who fantasize about getting out of the city and going back to the land and hunting and foraging and fishing, I highly recommend the the first season of that series. Uh, I gotta check that out. I don't, I don't know oh, what I'm It's so it. good. Yeah. It's so good. Is there? Uh, are, do you gift books to people? Like historically, have you have you given books as gifts? If so, yeah. I, any I, any that come to mind?
1: They're all different. I mean, I, you know, the one that I just gave out in most recent history was uh, there's an old. Uh, Bar book. It's called, uh, Cocktail Techniques. And it's from an old, have you seen that one? It's a no, little, little tiny book. And it's from, uh, the, I think it's the, the guy from, uh, Bar High Five. He's like, you know, in Tokyo. Yeah, sure. Um, it just, it's just about pure craft and technique. It's just called Cocktail Techniques. It's, yeah, it's Cocktail Techniques, I think. And uh, I think that's the guy. It could be a different guy, but, but, uh, really cool books. So I just gave it that. It was out to a bunch of my staff. Um, but, uh, uh, the, the other one is The Art of, uh, Taiji Chuan. And it's it's or the Tao of tai Chi Chuan. And um it's by uh, a guy named Joe Sung Wa, I think his name is. I don't know uh something along those lines. But it's a really um it's it's a really amazing book on Tai Chi. and and it has a lot of epiphanies in there because he started uh Tai Chi when he was forty something because of his bad health. So he was like on his deathbed or something along those lines. He got cancer mm-hmm. or something like that. And he uh he apparently, you know, went through, you know, he started from being completely unhealthy and then took his journey through Tai chi to, to become, uh, one of the foremost experts in America on Tai chi. And he That's traveled wild. the world and, uh. Starting at 40. Yeah. Or so. and, and, and of course, within a few years, just like everybody else that does Tai chi, they become fixed essentially more or less, right? As long as you, you're consistent in your practice, you do it the right way. And you practice it for health and you, every, I've seen a lot of people over the years, like, you know, car accidents or whatever. Um so uh that's one of my other favorite books because there's a lot on the the application process and the actual martial part of taiji which is really almost non-existent mm-hmm. um in China too. And it's still almost non-existent now because yeah. everything's kind of sport based ever since uh ever since I suppose uh, martial arts became uh inessential once you know the the you know firearms were were created. And then that was the downhill of, of, uh, you know, hand to hand combat, yeah. right? Well, was it was, uh, <laughs> those downward trends. Like, yeah. It was it like in
0: necessity is the mother of invention, right? And it's like, once you don't have that as a necessity. Yeah. Uh, everybody's like, oh, thank God I could just shoot this guy. I'm
1: like, how do they stand in a horse stance for 18 hours a day? <laughs> uh,
0: when you think of the word successful, who's the first person who comes to mind?
1: Uh, I don't have a person, to me, success is, is living what brings you joy, you know, and I think doing whatever, whatever, uh, process brings you happiness, I think is what success to me. And that's really, that's really all it is, right? Because at the end of the day, it's freedom that matters. And, and whatever that freedom is to each individual is kind of what's important. So for me, it's just being in the woods. At some point, I'm just, you know, I'm going to disappear. I'm going to be in the woods.
0: <laughs> There'll be, uh, I'll see, will I'll see some, <clears throat> the, 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 uh, like the Montana Freeman. I'll just have some holdout skeins. Now, <laughs> now I'm embarrassed to say, hold on a second. So I've only heard you say your last name once and it made me think that I've been saying your last name incorrectly for as long as I've had your, your name written anywhere in front of me. Yeah, do everybody say- does.
1: So, well, okay. So, uh, my family, you know, we grew up saying it skeins, skeins, but in Scotland, they say skein. Skeen. Skeen is the proper way to say it. It's so the silent S. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or maybe they say skeens too. I but you know, say skeens. Yeah. We say skeens. Yeah. Skeens. Right. Yeah.
0: The, what is the most joy that you have felt in the last three months, six months, recent memory?
1: Well, for those last six or, you know, three, six months, I've actually been working on a big deal for the company. And so, uh, it would have to been last week when I closed the deal because uh-huh. <laughs> I could finally breathe again. I, I feel I read so many legal documents in the last, in the last six months that I feel like I could be a lawyer. It's <laughs> mind numbing. It just, it's yeah. my, it's so, it's so miserable in every way possible. Um, but it's nice to get it done. Can and, you
0: talk about that or not yet? No, I can't talk
1: about it. Yet. Okay. It's, there's a lot of exciting stuff to happen here. Very, very exciting things. And, and, uh, you know, this whole woods thing is something that I've been thinking about for years and years and years because, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, to really get to the highest level of your craft of cooking, you need to be submerged in, in the woods and need to be surrounded and isolated by the wild really to, to really reach a certain point. It's the water, it's the air, it's, it's the, the way the air tastes when you're there. It's everything contributes to that. It's the products, of course. So, but that's an ultra geeky level of it. You know, it's like, there's, it's only for a handful of people that really enjoy that kind of thing, but
0: most people enjoy being in the woods. So if you could pick anywhere outside of the U S to immerse yourself in the outdoors that way, where would you pick outside of the U.S.,
1: I, I guess, you know, my whole life is just a few things. It's, it's, Um, well, I mean, besides family, the only thing that I really, uh, you know, give a shit about are martial arts and cooking Mm -hmm. And, and it's not just cooking. It's just, it's the whole process, the whole act, the whole commune with nature, uh, you know, being out in the wilderness and being able to hunt your own meat. Uh, and it's not about the killing, it's about the, the,
0: um, the sustenance that we get and kind of the feeling that we get from being part of that process. Also, it's and, just like uh, the consciousness and the reverence in a way of having to go through the entire process.
1: Yeah. It treat you have to treat things differently. Once you experience killing another, you know, thing, right. Another living thing, especially when you kill a big animal, like an elk and a deer, there's a very different feeling from shooting a bird or something. Right. Even though, you know, the bird, uh, I, I didn't, you know, start doing that stuff until later. So uh, to me, they're all the same. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you walk away with, um, you know, as a cook, especially, you know, knowing that you're not going to waste a single piece of anything on that animal. And I think that's very important because a lot of our, th- this ties back into a way bigger conversation, which is about, Um, just our, our commodity food processes in America. And, and we are full of disease and shit because of the way that we eat and the way we treat our food. You know, there's feedlot cattle and, and, uh, you know, chemically induced, uh, you know, vegetables and crops and, and, uh, you know, most of our food sources now are, are products that we use on the commercial market or have zero or, or, you know, almost very little, uh, resemblance to what they originally were. And, yep. uh, and so, um, you know, that, that's even more reason to just go to the woods, get out of here.
0: <laughs> so where would you, if you had, if you had to pick a spot outside the U S to, Oh, sorry. I missed. No, that. no, that's okay. I get off on these tangents. Well, that's, um, I, I, it takes one to know one. So that's, <laughs> I, I can realize, keep me in line. I can, realize uh, I can uh, <laughs> you
1: know, I don't know. I, 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 I was just looking at uh, British Columbia. Um, t- my picture, my, my, um, perfect place would be mountain streams where, where the mountain streams meet the ocean really, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of the perfect place where it's, uh, so British Columbia has a lot of that. I, I want to experience the four seasons. Um, you know, I want to see snow. I want to see the flowers in the spring and, uh, you know, I want to have uh, you know, a bear walk through the woods and potentially eat my goat, you know, cause it's, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, there's a cycle there. There's a, there's a cycle of life and a cycle, uh, of, um, you know, things that don't exist in a city anymore. And we're so, uh, removed from, from just everything really in a city in a lot of ways. So, so, um, I don't know location wise. I mean, I love, you is a good choice. Huh? I yeah. Think. yeah. Yeah. I, it looks I, amazing uh, up there. I was just looking at buying, um, there's a, there's a hunting territory up there that I wanted to buy. And, um, it was really cheap. And so we can maybe we can go in on this. Um there was uh, shit you not, there was there was a two hundred and fifty square mile hunting territory and you know the center of that was uh I think two hundred acres or something like that. Right. Uh and there's cabins on it and it's on a lake and the stream and it was five hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So I uh uh you know, I mean so naturally you're like, like before okay, this you know, gets the, the before this seems, podcast
0: goes out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh I dated a very lovely, um, woman whose family was from BC. So I ended up spending quite a lot of time up around Victoria and some of the more sort of rural outskirts of Victoria. Stunning. I mean, it's, and we, we, we wanted, I mean, you had to be cognizant of bears and so on and so forth. And I, I spent so much time <laughs> trying to track down of course, firearms are very difficult to get a hold of. But this was while I was doing also the sort of refinement on the Four Hour Chef, and I wanted to go rabbit hunting, <laughs> and I spent so much time trying to track down high-powered pellet guns. <laughs> and then I was like, "Well, maybe I'll just, I should just sl- call me." i like, "Slingshot, in my safe." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. I did a road trip for those people interested with my brother. Uh, because I'd done so many trips between San Francisco and L.A., right? San Francisco south. I think it's very common. i never gone north. So I did a road trip with my brother from San Francisco all the way up the coast to Whistler in Canada. And stopped along the way at all these you know, lumberjack houses and so on in Oregon. Saw the dunes that inspired the book Dune. Uh, I think also in Oregon, the Avenue of the Titans and so on. It's amazing uh, up north. Really is gorgeous. gorgeous. It's It's gorgeous. People search uh for those people interested, search my last name. There's I think gems of the Northwest or something. I highlight 16 different stops that we made. But
1: um Yeah, there's I, I spent a lot of time last fall going up into like Hat Creek and and uh the uh like all of those falls up there. And oh, so it's many amazing waterfalls. amazing up there. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, a lot Shasta, of... Shasta, pres- especially up around Shasta. Shasta is apparently like a, one of the vortexes in the world, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what that means. But yeah. <laughs> That's
0: what I heard. <laughs> yeah. Worth exploring. Yeah. Uh, do you have... What is your... What does your morning look like? What are your morning rituals? And let's say not necessarily when you're in like hyper legal due diligence mode, but let's just say when when you're not covered in that when kind of stuff. When I'm at
1: peace again? Yeah. Uh, what is your morning? Look uh, like?
0: Hong Kong milk tea and tai chi to be honest. That's What really time weird.
1: do you wake up? Um it's always different. I'm very inconsistent with that. I'm like one day it'll be 1 p.m., the next day it'll be 5 a.m. Got it. It okay. just depends. Um, so but you- I do I love the morning and I and I I um I, uh, if, if, if I had my perfect scenario, it would, it would just be, you know, a, a cup of tea and, 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 uh, some Tai Chi and then, uh, get on with it. Got it. Do uh, you, do you, uh, what type of tea? Hong Kong milk tea. Hong Kong Hong milk Kong tea. Hong Kong milk tea, yeah. What is in so Hong, Hong Kong? So Hong Kong milk tea? tea is, is like a, there, there's a mixture of black teas. Every place has their own brew, you know, different types of leaves could be Darjeeling or Ceylon's or, or whatever. Um, and then you essentially soak it in water and you, you overbrew it in some ways. There's a very high ratio of leaves to water. Um, and then you mix it with uh, evaporated milk. Um, and uh, some people put sugar or sweetened condensed milk in there. I just take it straight. But uh, but uh, it's something that I, I grew to love in Hong Kong. And it was just an amazing thing in Hong Kong. I, I, it's addictive. It's highly, highly addictive.
0: <laughs> um, so I, that's what I drink in the morning. And then the Tai Chi, how long would you practice that for? What type of Tai Chi.
1: Um, you know, I've gone, do, sh- it, I've gone as short as like 37 seconds in some mornings to yeah. like, uh, you know, three hours. <laughs> it just depends. It depends on the time. Um, I usually do like a, a couple sets. You mm-hmm. do like one set, maybe slow, a couple sets. That's it. Yeah. Just, just to get the blood flowing and do, to, to rebalance yourself because yeah. there's a lot of, like one of the things about doing, um, doing these forms for the, in, with the intention of fighting and not with the intention of performance or health. Is that you, you develop a certain kind of like stability in your body and legs. And I've noticed that start to go away over the last few years with just being busy and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, you feel it in your knees. Like I went, like when I was going, especially going hunting and stuff, I was like, wow, this, this would have been super easy, you know, for me a, a few years
0: ago. But now
1: I feel like fucking Chris Farley. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the worst. It's really hard. Yeah.
0: I, I noticed this, uh, very recently also doing, I mentioned when we were just making tea before we started recording, getting into gymnastics training, which I'm doing with, uh, uh, incredible coach named coach Chris Sommer, who's the former national team coach. And we're doing for the first time I'm doing remote coaching. So I'm sending him videos. He's reviewing, we jump on the phone, et cetera. And, uh, one of the series that I've been doing and I need to start doing more consistently is this knee sort of prehab rehabilitation, uh, series, it's all body weight. That focuses on strengthening, say, the ACL, the cruciate ligaments, et cetera, with these different types of weird looking squats. And I did them for, say, three weeks, just once or twice a week, it took maybe five minutes each session. And it was incredible how more, how much uh, more stability I felt in my knees doing any type of movement, uh, any type of, of walking, hiking, jumping. And it highlighted for me that that must mean my knees were fucking unstable as hell beforehand. If like within two or three weeks, I felt a huge increase in stability, which I guess is a symptom of just sitting down too much. Uh, also the way we move too. you know, I mean our, our, our Western
1: you know, patterns of movement, a lot of ways are not, um, uh, well, I guess everyone's pattern of movements are not very, they're kind of just like up, down, left, right. Yeah. Um. You know,
0: computer. You know, bar. Yeah. There's dinner. Not, there's, not there's not a lot. couch. There's TV. not much. There's not much lateral. There's not a lot of torsion, uh, of different types, uh, and you know, rotational exercise is pretty much out the window for most folks. So then, when you encounter that in any capacity, and it's forced upon you. Then you get injured. Yeah. Uh. Do Do you? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just gonna say there's some there's a there's a some of the like the way in in Bagua, they isolate some movement uh, patterns. Mind if I
0: have some of your?
1: Team. Were you no? <laughs> <so>. <laughs> and they, they uh and it's really just kind of an exercise in in uh in balance and being able to um, learn, you know, power versus um, uh, resistance. Um, and you have what to, do you,
0: What do you mean by that? Well,
1: okay, so let's say you're. Uh, let, let's say that you are, um, practicing, um, a, you know, a stance, let's Mm -hmm. say just for, for lack of a better example, um, without going into too much detail and, and that stance, you feel very stable in that stance while you transition to another stance and you're, you know, undulating or rotating or going up and down, changing levels, but that's without pressure, without resistance. So let's say you take that same technique or stance or whatever, and then you pressure test it and apply, Um, another human being to push on you or throw, try to throw you while you do that same thing. Mm -hmm. So you basically are pressure testing, you know, the reality of some of these movements. And, uh, and, you know, you have to, uh, I mean, before you do that, you have to have a lot of, you know, time and solo practice with those. Movements or stances and you know repetition and all that stuff. So you actually don't rip your knee out of socket or something. So don't, just don't go doing this at home yeah. until you practice a little bit. But but the thing is, is that it it brings a sense of reality to it because that's always the problem with Chinese martial arts that you see is there's no reality to a lot of right. shit. It's never it's very it's, silly. It's, like, it's never what, tested under
0: the no. circumstances in which you would need to use it.
1: <laughs> yeah, or or against bigger people that or against real violence or against any of those things that you would, uh, you would need to actually make something truly effective. And, uh um, and so, you know, that it, but the point was, is that it develops your, you know, all of your connective tissue and all of your body. And I'm pretty sure the only reason that I, I can't, I can still walk is because of my early years of martial arts and <laughs> all of this kind of stance work and transition work and, and, uh, you know, that kind of like twisting and turning of the body and like Tai Chi and internal martial arts. It's very
0: helpful for the body. I think you know? that I think there's something there and my interest in Tai Chi at one point was pretty close to zero just because I was so focused on the harder fight sports like Muay Thai and so on, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And in the last, say, five years, my interest has really been piqued uh, by a friend of mine named Josh Waitzkin, who's been on uh, this. I'll just have like a podcast small world story real quick. So I get this text at one point from Matt Mullenweg, who's the uh, I guess he's the CEO of automatic right now and was one of the lead developers of WordPress. And he goes, I was walking with my girlfriend through New York, it's like central park or somewhere. No, it wasn't central park. It was near the water. And he said, we saw this guy doing some weird martial arts stuff right on the water. And so I was commenting on it and how it looked really beautiful to my girlfriend. She said, well, you should walk up and say hi. So walked up and said hi. And it was another person who'd been on the podcast, Josh Waitzkin, doing Tai Chi. Now, Josh was the basis for Searching for Bobby Fischer, this movie about this chess prodigy, which he was when he was a kid. But he's also uh, a he was a push hands world champion. And then after that, became the first black belt under Marcelo Garcia, who's like the Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, Wayne Gretzky combined of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And uh, I always associated Tai Chi with non-martial applications, right? But he uses this and has prescribed it to his parents who've seen fantastic results for uh, rehab, prehab, just life stability and well-being in general so even though he has a tremendous amount of experience with bjj at an extremely high level he still does the tai chi on a regular basis which has made me think uh that there's that i should probably make space for a practice of that
1: type i'll tell you what there's a there's a lot more to it than you than uh you know, most people, uh, give credit for because the reason is that there's no good Tai Chi really anywhere, right? So it's very. And Josh yeah, would agree with you about that. Yeah. Way. And just yeah. imagine, you know, if you had no good, you know, jujitsu anywhere yeah. and, you know, then everybody would make fun of it because these guys would just get on the ground and get stomped. Yeah. Right. But, you know, if it's the same thing, it's the same, the same would apply to any kind of system. And, and so, but once you, if you, if you really, you know, happen to be lucky enough to stumble upon someone who's truly, really great at the martial side of tai chi then you know it's all it's kind of like this immovable mountain thing and and you know my take on it is that in terms of like real real uh applicable martial arts which means being able to defend yourself against someone who's using real violence Mm -hmm. i'm not talking about sport um which is still very difficult right i mean that's not but uh but to really be able to defend yourself against real violence is a different kind of ball of wax right um, and oftentimes that requires less, uh, less of a lot of things in a sport would, right? You don't need to train for 20 hours a day to be able to get to that point. You don't have to have amazing cardio necessarily, you know, a lot of things go out the window due to this kind of, um, uh, ability to evade Right, a- and evasion is not in a, a large circle, it's really can be a very small thing. Like let's say you, a a simple example would be, um, let's say that you practice, um, standing with your knees bent a little bit, um, to the point to where you would, you know, fall over the first day. And for 20 years, you practice that same kind of standing against somebody trying to push you over. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, eventually you get to the point to where you can't be pushed over right and you you went through a series of different opponents and different people trying to you know throw you over but that's all you practice forever right and so taiji develops that kind of skill right when it's done in the martial sense um but then you're able to mobilize it so you let's say you take the static you know, uh, starting point of being immovable. Immovable doesn't mean you're actually immovable. It means you're adjusting your body to the other person, right? And to their, their force that's coming towards you, you're adjusting a little bit, right? And it's not this whole, there's a lot of like, you know, hokey pokey shit out there on um, people <laughs> that don't really, that say a right. philosophy, but there's no real applicable, uh, you know, reality to it. Um, so, uh, that's one thing. And the other thing is just kind of the, the, um, uh, ability to evade. Like if you're, if you have a, let's say you take, you know, a, a Thai boxer who Muay Thai guy who can kick really fucking hard and a guy who practices kicks every day is a professional Thai boxer. Um, what, what we have to realize is that the distance, there's just a distancing thing, right? At the point of impact of anybody's kick or punch or attack is. One place once they release that, you know, intention, once the intention mo- leaves the, you know, the mind and goes into the body and the action is created and it's traveling towards your opponent. There's a target. There's an intended target. If you can change yourself from being that intended target, you know, the origin of that and reroute yourself only a few inches, then yep. all of that force goes away. Right. Yep. And so. It's a, it's a, it's a simple kind of thing to say, but you know, just to be able to do that with one punch or one kick takes a lifetime to learn, right? Um, and I'm not saying I know these things. I'm just saying that that's, there's a couple simple truths that I've learned from it that, that, that are, uh, that's a couple. But, um, so yeah, so I think that, that, uh, Tai Chi is very applicable because, you know, I go out and practice with, uh, I've, over the years, I practice some really amazing MMA guys, some really amazing Jiu Jitsu guys. Um, and, uh, you see a translation from this kind of traditional martial arts. Um, uh, but only very little. It's not like overall, you know, you can't just go get in the cage. You know, it's just not, so, but there, are, there are some really great things that I think that, you know, it'd be really interesting to see. I would love to see. Uh, you know, professional fighters start to explore that a little bit, but the issue is that that to even get remotely efficient at those kinds of things, it takes at least ten years of like daily practice. Yeah, right. And so that might be the challenge.
0: <laughs> so a, the, a, by then, your career is over. It's a time budgeting issue. <laughs> the uh, how how old are you now? Thirty six. Thirty six. What advice would you give your thirty year old self if you could place us where you were and what you were doing at that time? <laughs> Um, I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think it would be
1: to, um, take a step back, right? Take a step back, really. Slow down and really, uh, really think through what really, you know, matters in the long run, right? Because we're, uh, you know, a and lot of times. Ta- what
0: were you? Do- this is what were you doing at the time when you were th- so thirty.
1: Well, uh, but well, my my, but I guess that actually my thirty year old self. That's different because that's when I just started saison. Yeah. So I was doing the same thing I'm doing now, mm-hmm. um, only in a more kind of uh, ridiculous way. But. Um, I mean, my 20 year old self, 25 year old self. Sure. Little let's little do, bit. let's yeah. do 25. Yeah. You know, 25 year old self. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be to just really take a step back and, and, uh, and not get caught up in anything stupid because, you know, a lot of times when we're chasing success or what we think is success, like trying to, as a chef, you want to build a big name. You want to, um, you know, get three Michelin stars. You want to get the accolades. Um, but ultimately none of that shit matters. It matters in the beginning and it certainly matters along the way. But, but if you, if we all just take a step back and I think there's, um, a bigger lesson to be learned for the way that we operate as a society is, is to really focus on what really matters to us and is what is genuinely makes us happy. Then we'll travel down the right path, right? And we won't get sidetracked by. You know, uh, you know, tits and ass or, uh, whatever you, you know, fame and sports cars and all mm-hmm. silly shit that you
0: don't need. Yeah. And, uh, unless those are the things that really make you happy.
1: Well, I mean, look, <laughs> up two of those three <laughs> do make us happy, but they're, wow. but, but I, but I mean that, uh, you know, if what really makes you happy is getting in the woods, yep. then, you know, you focus, you're able to really take a step back and focus on, quality maybe if you want to be a cook you want to be a chef uh what kind of chef do you want to be you want to be a you want to be an instagram chef or you want to be a you know a chef with real quality and skill that's respectable you know respected by the world you know for your your ethos or something so they just you know uh, I, I would say um get your head out of your ass probably
0: what that would be my were, summary what were you what were you getting just dis- what were you distracted by or focusing on at 25 that you shouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right.
1: Oh, my uh, My parents-in-law don't hear this. Um, uh, no, it's, so, just, it's just like two
0: people listen to this podcast. <laughs> you're fine.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I was just, I, I was just cooking. Uh, oh, actually, you know, I was, I was a chef at a restaurant called Shay TJ. Uh, I don't, the place in mountain view. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's been there for like 30 years. Um, and, uh, I shortly after that got poached by, uh, Michael Mina to do some development work. Uh, I opened a rest for, restaurant for him down in the St. Regis in Orange County, um, as a temporary gig and then went to work with him on kind of the, uh, just to learn business from him, right? I wanted to learn some business. I didn't know anything about business at all and I wanted to see kind of how that, um, operated and functioned as a restaurant group. Um, so a lot of it was like Vegas and partying, partying all the time and just, uh, just ridiculousness. I mean, we would go out after work, one and go home at sunrise, and wake up at 4 p.m. and go back to like the kitchen the next day. Just and just immediately need like a whiskey because <laughs> you're so hungover. <laughs> it was the only care of the dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so th- that was a good few years of my life, just kind of going crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I, you know, I wasn't, all I did was train. So I didn't do that when I was younger. Like I had a period in my teenage years where I was a, a lunatic and then I, I went back into training around 15 and, and pulled out of that. And then, uh, and then I didn't really even drink until I was 25, um, after I got my chef's job. Um, and so, you know, it's a couple, a couple of makeups for lost time.
0: Yeah. The, uh, I, I, I feel like oftentimes reflecting back on my, High school career and college, uh, experience that if I had not had competitive sports, I mean, who, kn- I would, would have ended up in skid row or in a gutter or God knows where. <laughs> oh, for sure. If yeah. I had if that. I didn't have martial arts, I'd be dead in a gutter. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where would you like to have food that you have not yet had food?
1: Um, the exciting food to me is, you know, the original peoples of wherever, um, whatever location. So if we go to, uh, you know, Australia and have uh, some Aboriginal traditional food and kind of explore that side of things in 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 nature, and and the same thing with anywhere else. So if you go to any country or any place and kind of you know exploring the the natural foods that existed before uh, commodification took place. That's what, uh, that's what's very
0: interesting to me. I was playing with, uh, had a lot of fun messing around with it. There's a guy named Cliff Hodges, who's also in the four hour chef. He makes his own bows and arrows, like from scratch and oh, his nice. hunted black bear <laughs> with, his, uh, with his, with his, with uh, his, I guess they're Osage bows. I want to say they're incredible, but, uh, he, uh, introduced me to cooking on fire. So he, he is a uh, outdoor survival expert, uh, and, Taught me how to build debris huts and whatnot. Knows how to track. Really interesting guy. You'd get a kick out of him. Lives in Santa Cruz mountains. And he, uh where was I going with this? Oh, he introduced me to acorn meal and making things out of acorns, which yeah. I looked into it at one point. Uh it, it represented for certain indigenous uh North American tribes, a substantial portion of their total calories acorns yeah and i got really i, that yeah. I got really interested in leaching acorns and making things out of acorn they're flour. delicious yeah acorns they're, are delicious yeah really really good i mean that's the thing about our food stuffs now is that we're we're uh
1: there's so many amazing things and that's kind of what saison does at the moment is that we're you know it's just exploring what's here the native foods i mean what is what exists really at a at a really you know incredible uh quality And, uh, there's all kinds of shit here. There's, I mean, like we get, you know, we set up a program with fishermen where we get only live fish in our tanks, right? They bring us fish that's alive or we don't want it. And, um, that way we can kill it a certain way. They kid you may, um, and control the process. And, and same thing with like all the commercial fisheries, uh, or, or the, the vegetables, the produce, we have wild kiwis in the woods of Marin, there's wild uh, kiwis. Yeah, I mean, there's acorns. There's ginseng root growing. There's um, berries. There's all kinds of crazy shit around. There's uh, diamond turbo in the waters here. There's pink scallops. There's monkey face eels. So we're we're exploring. Those all these are some kind of, funky looking things, man. And they're really delicious too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you just cook it. Let's say you cooked it like unagi or something. Right. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. So there's all these amazing things around in in our in each location around the country and. And the Pacific happens to be amazing because of the ocean, but the, the, um, you know, the cold climate of the ocean, but, um, that's a very exciting kind of food, right? To just really kind of look at what's around us, like really explore what's around us. Um, it's nothing new. It's been done it was being done before all this other shit was being done. And so but that's really where great food comes from. Great food comes from not from growing it on a farm, but from really exploring the wild and finding, you know, that kind of reference point for flavor, right? Like you find the you find the best um fish during the best season or the best uh, you know, bear during after eating the blueberries. Uh During the rites, you know, so there's all these, uh, and the same thing with produce and all that other stuff. So those are, that's a very exciting, uh, exciting way to cook. Uh, what, what, pretty soon I'm going to have a restaurant that only does that. Uh, it's cool. it's going to take six hours to get to and, uh, maybe I'll just do it for one table night and, uh, you know, maybe you're part of the hunting process, who knows, or,
0: you know, go out and catch our trout. I'm in. Mean, uh, yeah. If you yeah. need, a, if you need a, a guinea pig. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, to take it for a test drive. Count me in. The, now you, you did, this makes me think a little bit of an experiment that you did. Uh, I'm not sure how recently this was, but the chef's table, uh, rotation that you did with, uh, help me out with the name here. Jiro. Jiro, yeah. But not the Jiro people Giro, would say. Not Jiro. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but Jiro who w- was cooking, I guess, previously in Noe Valley. Right? Yeah
1: yeah he uh, but he he was trained in Tokyo he was a sushi chef in Tokyo um and uh I just I love his sushi he has a you know, he has that timing you know he has a sensibility to the the flavor of his sushi and 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 unfortunately in San Francisco there's no good sushi at all and uh I really wish there were but there isn't and uh so I, that's why I fell in love with his sushi because it was so delicious it had the warm the right the rice was a little warmer had the right texture uh, you know, the thickness of the cuts of the fish, the way, the direction in which you cut against the grain or with the grain, um, you know, the balance of the seasoning, just everything was there.
0: And so for a period of time, I don't know how long it was, but he, uh, would seat how many people per Eight? night? People. Eight people. Yeah. So I built this little, for
1: those who don't know, I built this little, uh, chef's counter out next to Saison. And, uh, it was, it was, um, or behind saison, and it was uh, eight seats, and um, there were no turns. There's no real um, commodity to the situation, I guess. You know, no remote. turns meaning well, it, so, it, so somebody you,
0: wouldn't get up and get replaced right, by another diner.
1: Right, exactly. And and in today's real estate. For the cost of renting a place, paying for labor, um, you know, all these other things, insurances and taxes and all that shit, you have to do more than one seating, right? You have to, you know, get as many people in there as you can, which is a very sad state of restaurants, um, especially when you're trying to, you know, do things that are really amazing or give people a great experience. Um, but uh, so this was just a little eight-seat workshop, essentially. And so he cooked in there for a little while. We would do some collaboration dinners. Um, and it was really great. Um, but then I realized we're still in the city and you, you know, you can't, there's only so much you can do on a busy street with a dump truck driving by, you know, so. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I've been working on, uh, some
0: new stuff and, and, uh, uh, one day I'll be able to tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, why the 80s music? You always have great 80s music playing, at least in my experience so far. Yeah. Uh, what's the, it, it just? fun
1: it's a it's a restaurant that's in the it's pleasure it's about pleasure it's about enjoyment it's about people coming in i know not everybody's gonna like 80 music but the substantial majority of our our subset of diners that come in uh like you know that kind of uh 80 music and and it's just fun yeah that's the only reason it's just about fun
0: speaking of fun molly just got um so chester is gonna have playmate here and there she is. Oh, oh, tail smashing the cups. We almost went, almost went for a yard sale with the cups. Yeah. So, so it's really, it's really just about the whole,
1: the whole reasoning of Cezanne was about those, the essential nature of a hospitality experience. The food being what we talked about earlier, uh, the, um, the eighties music being fun, you know, the, the things you pick up in your hands feeling good the, the seat being comfortable, the service being warm and real, you know, you know, so that, that's kind of w- w- why the 80s music came about. Well, it, what,
0: what I love about the, uh, the and 80s. Plus we have a couple glasses of wine and you can cook Well, it, I was going to say that I've had, I've, bought, I've, I've taken a few friends to Cezanne and, uh, they've always, They've always had questions about the 80s music, and then they get a few dishes in, maybe a glass or two of wine, and they're like, you know, this music's perfect. (laughs) I really think this music is extremely suiting to this experience. And uh, I always have to ask people when they – when because I've been in San Francisco for so long, and I get questions about places to go to eat, and I always have to ask, you know, what's your budget and what's the occasion? Because – saisons you know it's a higher end higher end i mean i'm grasping for a better adjective it's expensive it's an expensive comparatively to other places yeah it's comparatively expensive place but for an anniversary or something like that uh or just a special experience i think it's it's always been my go-to on the opposite end of the spectrum if I'm like, if you want a really filthy, delicious burrito in the mission, then I think El Farolito. If you want to like also have a conversation with a couple of meth heads, then that is the spot That's to always go. Is my preferred uh, choice of meal, meal no conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, our dogs are playing, folks. But uh so, Joshua, we could keep talking forever. L- where can people find you online on the socials? Learn more about what you're up to uh, i think your instagram is fantastic also if you want to see a lot of very very peculiar and delicious ingredients and that's a good place to see you but where where can people find you yeah J- uh, instagram is chase gains j-s-k-e-n-e-s I almost
1: forgot my instagram right <laughs> right <there. laughs> on instagram or, or, or uh, on twitter i think it's uh saison sf
0: saison sf and yeah. the website also is dot uh, sf.com and uh, i will put all this in the show notes folks including links to anything that we might have mentioned our dogs are having a blast speaking of joy uh so you can find the show notes at fourhourworkweek forward slash podcast uh josh thanks for taking the time man thanks for having me here man it's yeah, we'll, let's we'll go have, hunting now we'll have some yeah. let's go hunting and have some wine uh in that order and uh to everybody listening we're gonna play with the dogs and until next time thank you for listening of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to 4hourworkweek.com. That's 4hourworkweek.com all spelled out and just drop in your email and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it.